0: Being a mom is the toughest job there is and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is MomBrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to MomBrain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today we are getting
0: to chat with Lydia Denworth. She is a science journalist and the author of the new book, Friendship, the Evolution, Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's Fundamental Bond. She's also a mother of three boys, college age boys. We're gonna chat with her about the scientific grounding of why we need good friendships in our lives, what it does for us physically, emotionally, how to create and cultivate those good friendships, how to, how to tell if a friendship is good, actually some really interesting criteria for what it means um, to, to have a really rewarding relationship with a friend, not a romantic partner, not a family member, et cetera. Um, and she 's also going to explain why, if you have children who are in about to hit puberty or in the middle of puberty, why somehow suddenly you are experiencing a a realization that their friends matter a whole lot more than you could ever possibly imagine friendships mattering and how to help your children navigate what can be a really exciting but also a very trying time um, in, in anyone 's life and doing it with the compounding stress and um strangeness of being in isolation during this pandemic. So open your ears
1: for the kind of that kind of stuff. I think this is great for if you know if you have a person that you are raising these children with, um, whether that is a partner or maybe a you know a, a mom or somebody else that's kind of helping you, it really, really helps to get everybody on the same page in terms of how our kids are are processing everything. So anyway, here is
2: Lydia. I am Lydia Denworth. I'm a science journalist and author. I am a contributing editor for Scientific American, and I'm the author of the book Friendship, the Evolution, Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's Fundamental Bond. And I am the proud mother of three young men who are now 21, 18, and 17. <laughs> um, And where can we follow you? LydiaDenworth.com. Uh, we'll get you all kinds of things about my career. I have a newsletter there where if you can follow along with my work and I'm at Lydia Denworth on Twitter and at L Denworth on Instagram. Although I'm, I'm trying to get better about Instagram. That's been not my thing so much, but
1: we'll help you out because we, we do Instagram with mom brain. And so excellent. How did you get interested in friendship?
2: Well, I'm a science journalist. And so I, you know, my job as a of course, friendship is interesting to all of us, right? You know, I have a lot of friends. I care about my friends. I, I've thought about friendship in that personal way. But I, my job as a science writer is to listen to scientists talk about what is interesting to them. And I like especially to listen when they talk amongst themselves, um, the parts that I can follow and mm-hmm. understand. And it became clear to me a couple of years ago that there was this other side of friendship that we were not as familiar with that it has this biology that it's important for our health and it's part of our evolutionary story and I feel like or I felt at the time that friendship was this subject that people think they know all about they think they appreciate it and it seemed like there was something ex something new to tell people something um that was surprising to me. And therefore I thought must be surprising or ought to be surprising to a wider audience. So that's the part of friendship that I wanted to dig into. And what did you learn on your journey? Exactly that, that it turns out friendship is as important for our health as diet and exercise. You've probably seen some of the headlines about loneliness mattering and things like that. But what I like about the story that i'm telling is that yes loneliness is bad for us and here's why and friendship is the other side of the coin and it is really mm-hmm. good for us and that spending time with friends does not just make you feel psychologically happy and good but it literally gets down into your the way your cardiovascular system works and your immune system and your sleep and your cognitive health your mental health even the rate at which your cells age like how fast you biologically age is affected by how socially integrated you feel.
1: Wow. Are there rules about friendship? Cuz you know, there you have good friendships, and you can have not great friendships and right. a lot of people enter into friendships that are not serving them at all and they'll have patterns about that. You know, what are what are the rules for a really healthy or foundation or whatever whatever yeah. that you want the guidelines?
2: The, the sure. user manual. <laughs> the user manual. Yeah. I don't think of it as rules so much as one of the things that this new science of friendship has done is it has helped to clarify exactly what friendship is or should be, which is getting to your question about rules a little bit. Uh, and that is that essentially they kind of boiled it down to what are the minimum requirements for something to be considered a friendship? And it's three things it's that the relationship is long lasting so it's kind of somebody's a stable and reliable presence in your life it's a positive relationship so it makes you feel good and that's a critical piece of it that we can come back to and then the third part is that it's cooperative and that there is some reciprocity some give and take right that being helpful is a big piece of it. And that comes into that bucket there of cooperation and reciprocity and um, being there for your friends. And those three things really, I mean, there's plenty more that we have in human friendships. There are a lot of layers to it. But if you have those three things covered, you're in a good place and the relationship is really good. And then what's Interesting on top of that is so, just like I said, it clarifies what friendship actually is. It also blurs the lines a bit in terms of our other relationships. So, do your relationships with your romantic partners or your biological relatives fit that description? Do they make you feel good? Do they feel like steady, reliable people in your life? Are they helpful? Is there back and forth, give and take? If there is, we call them our friends. But if there's not, I mean, it's not automatic. Let's say you're very close to your sister and you might say your sister is your best friend. If you say that, you're saying that because you want people to understand something about the quality of your relationship with your sister, right? If you just tell me that you have a sister, I know that you are related to somebody by blood in that way. And that's all I know. I don't, I might guess that, you know, you grew up together and maybe you're very close, but I don't know that. And that's why people use the word friend to describe other relationships, you know? Anyway, so I find it it's not exactly the rules, but it's useful. I guess it should be the rules. How about that? I'm going to go ahead and say right now, <laughs> these should be the rules. Well, no, with that, I mean, I, I
1: Daphne, you and I have had so many conversations um, with our guests and with different girlfriends about like what happens when you become mom friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that it's not always a positive experience because for some reason, a lot of moms just want to compete. Um, so I'm curious about sort of the rules of friendship because there, I do see, you know, when you're younger, you have kind of the frenemies and then I feel like you start to develop like healthier relationships and then you become a mom maybe. And then all of a sudden you start to see this again where you're like, well, yeah, they're really nice, but da, 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 da,
2: kid. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it is actual negative energy. And that is not good. And for it me, not good. that does not fit my definition of actual friendship. Um, and, and furthermore, I give you permission to not be friends with those people anymore.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Deliberate liberated.
0: You don't have to, you don't have to do it. There is something I, I do. I, I love the question because I do think there are relationships you have at all points in your life by proximity, right? They're the people in your closest yes. circle or doing the same things you're doing every day, or you see them at school drop-off, or you used to see them at school drop-off all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, There is value in having people who are in a similar lifeboat as you are, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, there are yes, absolutely. even if they're not necessarily the people you would have optimally chosen, just given your own, you know, left to your own devices. So I'm curious if if the if there is a gray space between your best friend in the world and someone you should drop off the drop off the lifeboat, you know, if how do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you navigate with you know within yes. a, a yes. semi a semi-challenged friendship dynamic. How do, you, how do you get through that in a positive way?
2: There's a saying that, you know, I certainly didn't make up, that, there, that we have friends for a reason, a season and a lifetime. Mm. And I think it's really true. It's, you know, okay, it's a little corny and cliched, but it's true. There are friends, especially mom friends, like when you're, you know, everybody that was in your Lama's class or everybody that was in your pre-K or your music together. Or in my case, my family went and lived. I've lived overseas a couple of times and we went and lived in Hong Kong when my kids were between seven and 12. And it was wow. rough. And the expat world is uh, is very much this kind of world where you're thrown together and you're friends because you're all in the same place. And and at first I had a hard time finding people that I really felt were my people, you know, that I connected to on a deeper level. But I needed some friends. (laughs) I needed people to hang out with in time. I did make some very good friends there and I found them, but it wasn't easy. And so it's the same thing. And yes, there is a big difference between Those people or the people at school drop off and your closest friends, your closest friends. So basically all of us, you can think of your friendships as fitting into concentric circles. You put yourself at the center and that first inner circle as the people closest to you in the world, The, the ones you can't imagine life without most of us have an average of just four people in that circle. It can be more, let's say you have a big family. It's usually split between family and friends, but it could be all family and it could be all friends. The point is less how you're connected to the people and more how you feel about them and how they make you feel. And so if they fit my definition that I gave earlier, so that they're people who are long lasting presence in your life that make you feel good and that are cooperative and helpful then that's your sort of bench group that really you rely on when you when you need something when you you know you're there for them they're there for you there's all kinds of amazing things that those relationships give you and most of us if we're married or we're in a significant relationship that romantic partner is in there but not for absolutely everybody uh but then the next circle out maybe is like the 10 to 15 people that you would be at the top of your list for your birthday party, say, or something like that, right? And so you care about them a lot, you really enjoy them, but you see them just a little bit less than the people in the inner circle. And then it goes out like that. So you get the extended, the other parents from school or the colleagues or your neighbors or your extended family that you don't see as often. And you might enjoy those people or not. I mean, hopefully you do. We're talking here about the positive relationships in our lives, and but they can be on that outer rung and that means that you don't psychically have to give them quite as much of your energy and yourself and your your time mm-hmm. cuz time is actually a really big piece of the story when it comes to friendship
0: it's the only thing it's it is that's that's what i really struggle with as someone i know i see on in your bio that you went to princeton where i did as well my like best friends in the world are are the girls that i met there and uh, we've actually in quarantine been doing weekly if not like a couple times a week FaceTimes and things, or at least there's the intention to do that. And my point is I keep having to miss them even before I didn't, even before all of this, you know, we would all try to get together and some of them live overseas. So it's, it happens less, but like everyone would try to get together. We'd pick this date and then something would come up with the kids. And I obviously would have to back out. And it, it sucks. It sucks because, (laughs) um, if that's the appropriate word to use there, <laughs> uh, because I love them and I miss them. And they are the family that I chose in terms of a just like deep, deep lasting, uh, you know, long-term mm-hmm. friendship. But I, um, I, I did also find it challenging to navigate the fact that none of them had children. So they didn't understand right. that, like the, the flexible and fluid dynamic that comes into play when you don't only operate on a schedule that's determined by yourself this expenditure of time and the allowance of time yeah. I think is really, yeah. is, is absolutely the most critical thing to figure out. And I, you know, at the same time, because they are my close girlfriends, like I do, of all the places that I have to take time away from, I don't, I try never to take it from those relationships because I know how hard it is to make friendships also. So I'd love to, given that almost all of us have shrinking time allowances to spend anywhere and that we live very, you know, now very isolated lives, especially, but frequently just like very, very busy, crowded, difficult to, um, you know, have the freedom and the relaxation that it, that fostered and cultured those relationships for me in college. I had nothing else to do. Like, you know, you share your health every now and then, but you really were there to like make these bonds. Um, I thought my parents might've thought differently, <laughs> uh, but I, <laughs> I, um, I'm curious what advice you have for adults who are trying to make friends right. and, and make in real life friends, not just, you know, not just the digital friends that
2: we often yeah. cultivate as well. Yeah. Somebody went out and counted the number of hours of time together that it takes to make friends. friend. So this, oh, yeah, well, this, this researcher at the university of Kansas, his name is Jeff Hall and he's, he's a really interesting guy. And he, he had this sort of question of, and he studied it two ways. He studied it with kids who had just arrived on campus and tracking sort of who they got to know, not their roommates, but other people. They had to like, they had to name a bunch of people right when they got there, they had met. And then he followed over a period of time and he asked how those relationships had changed and who did they think of as a friend and who didn't they. He also did it with adults who had moved to a new city Mm -hmm. for a job and, and asked. So it wasn't only a college student study, With all these people, what he found was what he calls these cut points. So it takes, on average, 50 hours of time together to go from being an acquaintance to a friend, to consider somebody a friend. It takes about 90 hours together to consider someone a good friend and 200 hours to consider them a best friend. And if you think back to college and how you all went to class together and hung out all day long, it doesn't take all that long. (laughs) But now when you have you all have young kids and, you know, and you've got careers and and uh, the demands of your marriages and all of that. So and all the other stuff you want to do, it's a heck of a lot harder to put together 50 hours even. Right. Um, I mean, if you can only do it in two hour dinner increments or something like that or, you know.
0: Well, if you saw someone every week, even, I mean, it would take you the better part of a year, you know, and that's ridiculous. (laughs) and
2: And so this is why we. as adults, we so much rely on the relationships that we made earlier Mm -hmm. because we put in that time and now we're maintaining, but we, we got to wherever we were trying to get with that, right? It can be why it feels harder to make new friends as an adult. That said, my closest friend's Now, I so uh, funnily enough, my friends, my friends from Princeton, we have the same thing going on now during this pandemic. And we had a WhatsApp thread going before. And because I had actually done a fair bit of Zooming for work before this all happened, I was someone who already knew what it was. and, And I suggested the Zoom, the first Zoom happy hour. And we did it like the first week and everybody was so excited. And what was actually lovely was it was this benefit for us because people are all around the country and all around the world we were not in touch in a regular way. And then, so seeing everybody's faces, it, it, it was kind of like, Oh, why haven't we done this before? Yeah, totally, you know, the, totally. The pandemic kind of pushed us into something else. But, and so I'm very close to all of them, but the four women that I'm closest to day in, day out in my current life are all people I met as an adult. So that is an important, really? like that's totally possible. Wait, like one where? The, Wait, yeah. Where'd you well, find them? So one was from, <laughs> one was, we were working together um, in London actually. And then we, both moved back to Brooklyn and our our kids are roughly the same age, but not they're not quite the same ages and not, you know, so it's really that she and I have sort of persisted in just being very, very close. We met at a time when we were working together, so we were putting in hours in the office and we just really clicked. But and that's a long time now, more than 20 years now. But the other three are all people that I somehow met kind of through my kids. One is the mother of one of my oldest son's best friend who lived around the corner from us for years and years and years. And the others are people that we had a house in the same beach community and stuff like that. So we just spent we did put in a lot of time together. Our kids were friends that brought us together. And then we became really close. And but they are all now people that I've known for quite a while. Right. So they they fit that long lasting definition. But I mean, there's plenty of parents of my kids' friends that I am friendly with, but they didn't all rise to be the my best friends, right? (laughs) And so there is you need those other things. You need for them to feel like they make you feel good and like you really enjoy each other's company and that you have the same sense of humor or shared worldview or, you know, stuff like that.
1: Do you also feel that there's also like a je ne sais quoi, like kind of like (laughs) I don't even there's just something like one of my very, very, very best friends, like very best friends. I accidentally threw him a birthday party when we met. It was like impromptu birthday party. One of our other best friends who, who connected us, he was hanging out with him and I invited him over for dinner. He's like, well, I'm with this guy. Can he come? But it's his birthday. I was like, I will cook him a birthday dinner. This is pre-kids, <laughs> by the way, pre-kids. And so I made him a birthday dinner and this was right after I got married. And apparently at some point it was just like love at first sight between the two of us. I just said to him, I said, you know what? You are going to be one of my best friends. And he says, I think you're going to be one of my best friends. And it was like on that night that we right. just connected and it was wild. And to this day, like he, I I love him as much as I, you know, i you know,
2: like a brother, right. you know? Right. I totally think there's chemistry to friendship just like there is to romance. Even all the way back. So Aristotle was the philosopher who, He thought really profoundly about friendship, and his ideas are the ones that have sort of dominated the thousands of years since. He also, though, talked about the amount of time that it takes to make friends even if you really like someone the minute you meet them. Right. And so that's kind of what you're talking about. And I think it's interesting. You both said, I think you are going to be my best friend. Right. And, but you can't really claim someone as your best friend in one day. You just can't. Right. But you can feel that click of connection and that feeling of being known and understood and seen and, and and also just that, like, clearly you had a lot of fun together, I'm guessing. Well,
1: we definitely put those 200 hours in with a lot of alcohol that summer very, very quickly.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I no judging,
1: no judging. My years as a party are were- quite short. It's like hey. summer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, look, I'm totally about the wine with my friends. So i got, I'm got no complaints about that. But, but the point is then you've spent that summer hanging out together and really getting to know each other. And you were right. You, you know, your instinct was correct. Um, I mean, there are people we meet that we think we might become really good friends with. And there are people we meet that we probably would be, but we just, for whatever reason, it doesn't. You know, there isn't enough time in the day, or and some people turn out to be not quite who you thought they were when you first met. That
1: kind of brings us to now. So one of the things that I struggle with, and I I think that this, you know, our listeners might might feel the same way, is that I'm really tired. You know, I've I've been up since three forty-five in the morning. Um, my my dog, uh, got sick in his crate. We have a puppy. And so I was dealing with that. And then my kids are up. And then I had to homeschool all of my kids and get everything done before work, which is now. And then once we're done, it's going to be time for me to cook dinner and put them all to bed and then, you know, pass out myself. So (laughs) I'm really tired. And my friends, especially the ones that don't have kids or maybe have fewer kids, I'm pregnant with number five. So my friends who don't have kids, they're, you know, wanting to call me all the time. And I love that. I love that they want to connect. But sometimes at the end of the day, I can't talk anymore. I, yeah. I have no more words. I've talked so much. I've explained the alphabet in, you know, my kids go to, to school in two languages. So mm-hmm. I've explained the alphabet in two languages. Uh, there's been a million Zoom meetings. There's been, you know, our in my work on my Instagram, everything. And by the end of the day, I just don't want to talk anymore. I'm finding that I'm not communicating that much with my friends right now. And that's hard. And I miss them. And I'll write to them little things. I love you and I miss you and I'm just really crazy right now. And I notice when I do spend time with them or, you know, if I do get to talk to them, it makes me feel so much better. It really does. But it's that effort to do that during this time is very,
2: very, very challenging. I completely understand. And and I've been hearing this or hearing from a lot of people that, For a variety of reasons, you know, some of what we're doing online to connect now is working for people and some of it isn't or some of it worked at the beginning and now it's getting old or they have a life like yours. I mean, I, as a science writer, I've never been busier practically right now. You know, Mm. fortunately, I actually have a lot of work to do. Plus, my book turns out to be really relevant in this moment. So I, I feel glad that I have work to do, but I also, like you, I'm surprised to find I'm I'm not one of those people with that problem of like, well, now how am I going to fill my day? Let me right. bake some bread. I don't have time. Um, so I get it. <laughs> uh, oh, we did. We did try to bake a little bread here, but you know, not you know, mostly I'm working really hard, but my strong suggestion is going to be that maybe you try to find a different part of the day when, and I'm glad that you said you were at least sort of checking in, I guess, by text or email or whatever it is, because that helps. But I, like I'm doubling up when I uh, am going for my walk every morning, I might call a friend on the phone then, right. Mm -hmm. And talk then, or I might do it if I'm on, you know, if it's me doing the grocery shopping run that week, uh, I'll check in with somebody while I'm driving in the car or something like that. You know, I'm trying to find the little found moments and it's not the same as, you know, the friends back in Brooklyn that I would regularly get together with for dinner or drink or whatever it is. We're obviously not doing that. And, and the group Zoom thing can get kind of old and, or you can't really connect with any one person in the same way. And so, right. The number one most important way to get through this time is to be kind to yourself and compassionate about what you need and what's hard and be honest with yourself. And I've been doing I can say that as someone who is spending my days talking to mental health experts about how people cope in times of stress like this. But what is true is that your friends are a critical piece of getting you through a time like this, that this is what friendship is for, like all the good, fun parts of it that are rewarding in your brain happens so that you keep coming back for more and you build the strength of those relationships so that they are there when you need them, like now, right? Mm -hmm. When you're feeling bad. But it also means you have to be forgiving with yourself and your friends about what they can give you or what you can give them. And I don't know, like Daphne, you were saying some of your friends maybe still don't have kids and things. And so they really are in a very different place there's no question about it. And I think it it has to come from two things. They need to try hard to understand what's going on with you all. Like in Elaria, if you have no time to talk, then that's not the thing that's going to work. But you also do need to try to find some moment in your day in some way where you get a little hit of it, because I really do think it will help you feel better. And also, this is one of those things where certain friends are good for certain things. Like they're probably right. is a friend that is totally willing to just listen and say, I feel you, I get it, and you're good. You know, you're or just, or just, talk,
0: just talk so we <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or just want like anyone yeah, else to you talk and listen. Whatever it is. Exactly. <laughs>
2: Definitely. I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna try that. I'd be like, I'm gonna call one of my friends and be like, Okay, I can't talk anymore so let's connect. You speak, tell me things. I will not speak for the entire time.
2: And you know what? They will love having someone who listens. So you will compliment beautifully because most people have a hard time finding anybody to listen to them. So, you know, um,
0: so whatever works for you. I do do that. And I think that's, I mean, you in know, in a much narrower, um, just system, like working out for five minutes is better than not working out at all, right? Getting your getting your hit of friendship is better than having nothing at all. And there are times when I'll jump on the Zoom or on the group FaceTime and I'll be there for three minutes and then I'll have to run. I'm so curious to hear more also on the the scientific sort of backdrop of it, because I do think sometimes we've had conversations here on the podcast with a variety of experts and moms who've really drilled home this idea that self-care is not selfish. That mothering ourselves is really critical, especially in this time so that we can take better care of everyone around us. I love what you just referenced being, being your own friend, having that self compassion, having that under showing yourself the same understanding and patience and nurturing that you would do for a friend is really, really essential right now. And because you've been speaking to all these mental health experts, I'd love if you, if there's one or two findings you have about like, the scientific way to boost your happiness or boost your resilience or boost your ability to cope with this, uh, you know, long-term stress and anxiety. Um, I'd love for you to share that with us as well.
2: Well, so one of the big ones is is friendship and social support that I just mentioned, which is one reason why it is really important that you try not to let it go entirely. And it's the problem that we have even pre-pandemic, you know, when you're really busy, especially with young kids, it it can feel really hard to figure out how to work it in. But working it in really will, in the end, help pay off the other thing is so routine and structure matter a lot uh, and so it sounds like
0: mm.
2: maybe your routine is making you crazy <laughs> right now I don't know, but yeah, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <and> so <laughs> but maybe there's some way to build into the routine you know to try to figure out how to if there's some piece of it that somebody else can do or I don't know, but um, the other things that get people through. It's a lot of it's a mindset. It's optimism and Mm -hmm. a kind of ability to put things in perspective, to do cognitive reappraisal, where you can say, "Okay, yes, this is bad, but you know these things are not so bad," or I can see that somewhere down the end that this will end, and you know we will we will be okay. For some people, it's things like their faith really helps, or um, other. it de- it depends what works for you. But the, the top things, I would say, are optimism, social support, perspective, and then routine and taking care of yourself. So exercise, eating well, sleeping well, all of that is really important for your mental health as well as for your physical health, right? And in a time like this, we really need to be taking care of our bodies. It may seem... I mean, I've seen all the jokes, and I—I I myself, I think, I've put on five pounds already. And, <laughs> you know, it's—it's it's hard. You—you, uh, you, I like to eat sweets when I'm stressed. I'm like, okay, now I need chocolate. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and so that is one way of coping. Maybe not the best way of coping, right? But you know, a little bit of it is—I'm—I'm I'm being forgiving of myself. I'm taking my own advice. But um, so those things really matter, though. So structure friends, support, and then your mindset and trying to find a way to kind of breathe and refocus. And I can tell you that the kinds of things that helped me too were like the keeping it in perspective. So right at the beginning of all of this, you know, my book came out in the end of January and i spent February on a book tour and everything was going really mm-hmm. well. And I was supposed to spend March doing a whole lot of other things. The book was coming out in the UK. Well, guess what? I didn't go to the UK and I didn't go to LA the second time. And I didn't, you know, all the things that I thought were going to happen and the, and the big talks I was giving to hundreds of people didn't happen. Um, now they've been happening, vir- happening virtually. And I was feeling sorry for myself at the beginning. And then my oldest son is a senior in college and then had his senior year taken away from um, him. Right. And uh, isn't going to graduate. And I'm I was sorry. like, okay, that's worse. (laughs) I just, I felt like, you know, that's a once in a lifetime rite of passage and he doesn't get that. And then I have five friends who've lost their parents in this from the coronavirus. And so then you go, okay, that's worse, you know? And so there's always somebody else. And I don't, I, let me be clear. I, I really very much believe in people sort of You have the right to your own stress and your own difficulties, and they are real for you. And it's but sometimes it's good and helpful to at least know where they fit into the larger scheme of the problem. Right. And then talking about some of that with your friends and your friends can sometimes serve as a check on that, too. And, you know, is um, is helpful.
0: Alari and I have kids six and under um, and then, you know, there's that long ex- where, where they we're their friends, like, you know, they're, they're each other's friends and we're their friends and they've got friends at school. And my oldest is just at the part, point where like those friends really matter mm-hmm. to her and she really likes them and she really misses them and she thinks about them a lot and they influence her a lot, which is also something that I'm curious if you've spent any time thinking about. But but we're about to get into that place of like the maybe eight to 12, where friends suddenly start to replace family as a primary influence in children's lives and and, um, self-concepts and confidence and everything else that we see being fed into it with lots of different external influences. I'm curious if you have thoughts on navigating Corona, navigating isolation with children who are still figuring out what it means to be a friend? How do you foster those friendships? And if there are negative friendships in your child's life, and this is a good time maybe to take advantage of like helping to squash those. I mean, what, you know, that's, it's a loaded question, <laughs> but, but feel free to answer what you
2: like. <laughs> but so to answer your question about kids, here's the the science of friendship in In children, if I can try to make it really quick, is that, you know, yes, when your kids are very young and and like all like yours, uh, the parent is the primary social partner and you're really helping to develop their social brain. And, you know, we always think about how well we're teaching them to walk and to talk and, and to read and all of that. And that's all true. But you are also teaching them what it is to be social. Ultimately, you're trying to start them on the path to teach them what it is to be a friend. But then they do have to go to school to get the next kind of step, which is understanding the peer-to-peer relationships and how to cooperate with a group and how to navigate a more complicated social situation, how to trust and how to be a loyal friend and how to not just receive support, but to give it because that's not really something that they're going to do for their parents much, right? uh it's a it's too hierarchical of a relationship and yet it's a critical piece of friendship so that starts to happen when kids get to school and when they hit like middle school they really do become so the from a neuroscience perspective adolescence runs from the age of 10 to 25 it's not just mm. the teenage years wow. yeah <laughs> it's it's and puberty is the critical moment so actually there's a study that will kind of encapsulate what you were just mentioning Daphne about this idea that you're that kids they're they're who they need you know their their shift and focus away from their parents to their friends it quite literally happens at puberty so there's something called the buffering social buffering and that is the power that parents and caregivers and usually moms have to um, calm a kid down to bring their stress levels down and so like a lot of the studies we, it's kind of funny when they want to do a stress study they always use this this same experiment because apparently the things that stress us out are very similar so it's public speaking and math problems <laughs> and and they're <laughs> and they're graded you know it's like age appropriate so for a 10 year old you do one kind of public speaking and for a 30-year-old, you do another kind, but, the, but it's the same theme. But so when they did this with uh, young kids and then they would have mom in the room, the kids' cortisol levels, their stress levels would come down. And then when they yeah, cross right. puberty mom doesn't have that power anymore. Quite literally, wow. your oh, no. parent is out of your hypothalamus. <laughs> oh, it's like you're, yeah. <laughs> but is
1: that why they don't become, they don't get out of adolescence until 25?
2: They don't get out of adolescence until 25 because there takes that long for their brain to finish maturing.
1: You know, we talk a lot about the the frontal lobe. Yeah. And then it doesn't finish, but why does it start at that point And then
2: it's, it's because there's changes. So what, what we, you know, how I'm sure you're, hyper aware of the fact that zero to three there's all this stuff going on in little kids brains right and there's this explosion of synapses and new new neurons are being connected but well new neurons are being formed but more importantly the connections between neurons are are happening at this amazing rate and then they get pruned back according to what gets used right that's the sort of fundamental idea of brain plasticity that you kind of you 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 use it or lose it, right? You wire up all these parts of the brain together and then the parts. So this is why, for instance, language, like if you're speaking to your kids in two languages, that's affecting how their brains get wired. And that's a good thing. And then down the road, they they have that language, those language circuits in their brain have been laid down and that will help them with their reading and other things. It's all related. Turns out, though, what people thought was that it kind of ended then. And like when you're by the time you're six, structurally, your brain is close to the size it's going to be and all of that. But it turns out that early adolescence, so just as puberty is hitting, there's a second explosion of new neurons and new connections happening. And that's only in the last 10 to 15 years that we've really understood that. And then it all gets pruned back again. So it's not quite as explosive as the zero to three years, but it's a pretty big deal. And it means that the brain is like once again, sort of ripe for structuring, <laughs> for changing, yeah. right? For, I mean, your brain is always changing according to your experiences, but but it means that in that period, so that's early adolescence. And then the rest of adolescence is like the pruning and the kind of laying down the circuitry again. And and then, yes, like as you referenced your prefrontal cortex, so the, you know, right up in the front of your brain that controls judgment and reason, it's developing the whole way. It's, you know, this is sort of a steady march. The limbic system that controls your um, or oversees emotions, let's say, is like jumps out ahead so that there's this gap and the Mm. adolescence fits right in the gap (laughs) so that emotion is like on hyperdrive and reason is just you know, developing so much. It does. It does. It explains, it explains all the risk-taking. It explains all the, like kids are, they're coming by it naturally. Like that's what their brains are actually designed to do. And socially they're really, really primed to be social by this way that their brain is developing. They will never be more sensitive to social acceptance or rejection than they are in adolescence especially early adolescence so middle school things like that and they are also forming their sense of self which is actually part of your social brain and so the fact that kids are so obsessed with their friends is like is just natural and and parents who get frustrated by it need to sort of step back and understand like they they're not really messing around when they tell you like that their friends feel like everything that's because they are to them at that time. And so it doesn't mean that you have to let them do everything they want to do with their friends or be, but it, but I think it helps if if the adults just really understand what's going on in those kids' brains and why.
1: I have two questions. One, I yeah. do yeah. want to know why mom becomes less important at 13, <laughs> like the exact reason why. <laughs> not you, Alari. Not, <laughs> not me. <laughs> me, every other mom, but not me. <laughs> um, but the other thing I want to know is why, you know, how can you guide children Through all the different phases, but particularly through that phase where, um, you know, I used to hear a lot growing up, I know you think you feel that way. Oh, I know (laughs) you think you feel that way, but one day you will not feel that way. And you know what I mean? And I want to give my kids perspective because I, again, as we talked about before, perspective gets me through every day but i also want them to feel and be in the moment and be passionate you know but you don't want them to end up like romeo and juliet no, you know what i mean no, so it's like no. so
2: how do you guide them well well you you're hitting on it there is yes i do so it's like it's almost the right thing to say but not quite the right thing to say you think you feel that way but you you know you don't because they do feel that way so you have to acknowledge it you have to sit with it you have to let them feel that way and let them make space for them to talk to you about how they actually feel. But at the same time, I think it's really helpful for kids to know. So like just as one example, for them to understand how it's going, what, why their brains are the way they are, like why they feel things so intensely. Here's a statistic. So in the U.S. anyway, because of the way the school system is structured, Most kids, when they get to middle school, they switch schools. Right. And two thirds of sixth graders. Change friends between September and June of sixth grade year. Two thirds, okay, which tells you that there's just this huge turmoil and tri- like change and churn going on, and it's mostly because those kids have come from the same. Maybe they hung out in September with the kids, they the handful of kids they knew from their elementary school or something, and then by the end of middle school, they've the pool of people that the potential friends is bigger. They've started to get a better sense of their who they are and what they're interested in. Maybe now they think, oh, I. I I might be a theater kid or I really love soccer. Right. And then they they start hanging out with those kids. And so by the end of the year, they've got new friends. uh, And sometimes it's it's less pleasant than that. Sometimes there's real big falling out. But the critical fact for kids to know is that almost everybody is going through the same thing that you are. Right. If two thirds of the class is changing friends then it's, you know, the exception of the people who are not. And, and so that emotional churn that kids feel because of it is, is fair and normal, but also can be put in perspective by understanding, you know, how this goes at this age. Um, So that's one piece of one answer. And then the question about mom, basically adolescence is about Kids beginning to make that move to be independent from parents because that's what growing up is about, right? And you think, oh, well, when they're 11, it's way too soon. And it is, of course, and they still need you. It doesn't mean you don't matter anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My oldest is 21 and he still comes to me for advice. So. But their body is literally changing in a way that is pushing them to where they're going to have to go. And guess who comes in and takes over? Friends. In some situations, friends can calm them down in a way that the parents can't. It depends on what the task is and what the how stressful the, the thing is. But friends start to have that power because, and this is true in other species, like Adolescent monkeys spend more time with other adolescent monkeys. You know, they like they there's a there's a change that happens in that phase of life. It's more extended in human beings than in other species. Uh, but it's um, and in fact, all of childhood is more extended in humans. And it's because we have to pour actually so much complicated, mostly social knowledge and behavior into our kids and get them and get them. I mean, nobody else has an adolescence that extends You know, 15 years. (laughs) But it's okay. Like it's okay for the mom and the dad and to understand that this is normal and this is what kids have to go through. And it's good for the kid, I think, to understand it while also acknowledging how the kid feels in the moment and how painful it is because it is true. You will never actually feel things as intensely as you do when you're an adolescent, both for good and for bad. The fun times are as much fun as you might ever have with your friends, right? You remember them. So clearly. And you feel that really intensely. You also feel the rejection and stuff super intensely. And that is because your brain is actually feeling it more. You're not imagining it, right? And so parents need to understand that.
1: So you think having a conversation with them and
2: t- sort of saying,
1: you know, this is something that you're going through and let's just talk about that. And I understand you deserve your time with your friends and you deserve your time to be yourself and where a lot of you know, eyeliner or whatever you're doing. (laughs) And, but then, you know, we also need to make sure
2: that you're safe. Yes. I think that's basically it in a nutshell. I always said that the, there were the first important set of rules were about safety and the second set were about kindness. And then we could deal with everything else. Uh, and that, you know, there would be, there are, I don't know, there's just a lot that they go through. And I think, our job as parents is to to guide and um, and to keep them safe and to help them. And they don't know how to do it all. They don't know. They don't come into middle school knowing how to be a good friend necessarily. I mean, some of them are good at it, but a lot of them aren't. Right. And it's going to be painful. So, yes, it's both acknowledge but and guide To the extent that you can without thinking that you can like fix it all or that you can make your kid. I think one of the things about friendship and kids that adults do is they put so much of their own self like or their vision for what they think their kid should be or how they want it to be or the kinds of kids they would like. Like, you know, and when we worry when people ask me about, well, what about my kid who doesn't have friends? I have to dig a little to find out, well, is it that they don't have any friends or is it just that they're not the most popular kid? Like what, you know, what are you bringing to it as a parent? And I say, I mean, this is no no judgment here. This is just that we have to check ourselves because we bring our own emotions to the job, right?
1: Now, of course, it's one of the hardest things, whether my my youngest is one, my oldest is six. um, And I look towards the future, towards all these things. And even like my one-year-old, I have to look at him and be like, he is his own person, he came out and he is a force to be reckoned with.
2: <laughs> he is the one that's going to give me I'm
1: sure is going to give me the hardest time. But he but you know you you see that and you sort of say my job is to help to guide you. My job isn't to force you to be something that you're not. And I think right. that's one of the hardest things.
2: And that applies to friendship as much yeah. as everything,
1: right? Of course. I think the last thing that is really important during this time of making you know, this of a whole a really good episode for the time that it's coming out in is that, you know, I am noticing that my, my daughter, my, my sons, I mean, my sons are within three years, you know, in, in another week, I'm going to have a two-year-old, a three-year-old and a four-year-old my son. Mm-hmm. So they really are their own playmates. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my daughter is like, you know, starting to try to put mascara on and stuff like that. I mean, she's <laughs> she is something else. So she, um, I'm letting her use her iPad for um, play dates. Yeah. And she'll play with her dolls and they'll play with their dolls or they'll draw pictures or the, whatever. They're chatting, they're gossiping, they're whatever they're doing. And I'm allowing a lot more of that. But it is it is difficult because I want to encourage that. But at the same time, I'm like, well, that's a lot of screen time, especially after being, you know, um,
2: in school all day. Screen time by itself is almost a meaningless concept. What really matters is the content and the mm-hmm. context so if she is hanging out with her friends and that's the only way she can be with them right now, then that is a really good thing. And if okay. they're doing something like they're playing with a doll, yeah, yeah, even better so that they're um, they're engaged in something, but they're doing it, they're sort of interacting and they're I think you can really not worry about that right now. OK,
1: <laughs> that's good to know, because I, I know a lot of, you know, that's how a lot That's how most play dates are happening. So, you know, on our our podcast, we ask what your favorite thing is.
2: My favorite thing is very of the moment. I said that I am staying up at my farm um, in central New York. And so my, I don't know about you, but one of them, I tried to follow the advice of mental health experts and do my quarantine goals. And mine was to actually get to know the birds around here. So I have become a birder <laughs> and I have this app that is amazing. And it's called Merlin Bird ID. And I actually think it's something that if people are anywhere where kids, where there are enough, I mean, actually, even in Brooklyn, there are a lot of birds and stuff, but I think kids and and parents together might really enjoy this app. It's so again, it's called Merlin Bird ID and it comes from Cornell University. And it's just a beautifully designed app. It's really fun. It automatically like takes where you are in the moment and what you're most likely to see and it changes it according to like the day and the, and it gives you all kinds of ways to explore it. And so I've been having such a lot of fun with it and feeling, and I get my like little checklist, like, you know, I got a new bird today and I I feel like I've, you know. Oh, fun. so all
1: right well thank you thank, thank, thank you, you so much, much. this was thank really you. Uh, insightful so Incredible. thank you so much
2: oh thank you for having me it was really fun and good luck ladies oh hang in too there stay okay. safe stay <laughs> safe right. thank, you. thank right.
0: you so much bye stay well this is a best all right guys that was lydia denworth i just feel like I understand so much more about the amount of time it takes to cultivate a truly deep and lasting and meaningful friendship um, and, and how modern life and certainly modern adult life can pose challenges to that, but that there are ways to work around that and there are ways to still find those deeply meaningful relationships or to, or to hold on to the ones that you already are lucky to have. Um, hearing from her talk about you know your metabolism has changed, your heart rate has changed, your chemical production has changed. The way your neurons formed are changed just by the strength of your friendships. I thought that was really cool. And certainly something that I'm thinking a lot about being in isolation, feeling that distance from the regularly social life I normally would lead.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I think I think i, I another thing that I found to be extremely powerful is. What is it? Does it mean to be a friend? So at the beginning, we're talking about the rules of friendship, because I think a lot of times we have people in our lives who are supposed to be our friends and they're, and they're not necessarily great friends. And that is definitely one of the topics that I find comes up. One of them that comes up the most, um, in terms of that, um, in terms of mom friends that we've all come together for, um, because we're going through something similar together, and we need to make sure that we treat each other well. And and some people just don't. Um, and and so I think I think you know, looking at the relationships that you have and what is serving you and what is not serving you, and realize that you very much are are worth the best quality of friendship. And now it's time for our favorite things.
0: Time for our favorite thing, yes, I wanted to share as my favorite thing this week a product that I've been using that I really love. So, I have historically speaking never been a fan of cooking sprays, I don't use them. I would rather just have a little splash or maybe a larger splash of olive oil or butter or whatever I need to cook with. But you guys know, I am a WW ambassador, which means I, I you know, try to keep track a little bit of going too crazy on the olive oil, although I do love it and other fats. Um, and so I had to find a cooking spray that I really loved that wasn't like, obviously you can use the pumps, which I think are great too, but this is one that I found that's um, totally natural and really clean. And that was the biggest priority for me to find. It's Chosen Foods 100% pure avocado oil spray and it's non-GMO. It has a 500 degree smoke point. So definitely something you want to consider if you're going to cook on a higher heat um, is making sure you have an oil that is not going to smoke out on you below but in this case, 500 degrees, which is great, and it has such a mild taste. I even put it on popcorn sometimes now, which is, which is a very like you know clever little trick because it adds zero points, but you can still have like a you know nice luxurious taste, which is great. Anyway, all that to say, I spray it into a pan when I'm making eggs. I spray it when I am doing um, like a quick sauté of veggies. It's like I said, a nice popcorn topper, and it's just one of those things that I have in my arsenal. I still have my coconut oil and my olive oil and my butter, and I still use those things for a variety of of cooking needs that absolutely can't live without them. It has been such a cool thing to have in my tricky arsenal. So I thought you guys would like to hear about that. So Christoph Robin has
1: a mask. Now, I also got his hair color. I have not used it yet. Um, but the mask I did it this morning and it was nice because again, like my ends really need to be cut at this point I was blonde last year and i'm still growing it out So, you know that part of my hair is more damaged than than the new stuff growing in Um, so and I did it this morning and I like that. It tells it says to you don't leave it more than five minutes Um, and then I have another one. I haven't used it yet I'll let you guys know that it's like an overnight mask which i'm excited about that. I know I know so very exciting. I'm very excited about all the masks, but I definitely recommend. Um Going on the website, I love that they don't hide their ingredients. Like I'm very big into reading ingredients, and you can read all of the ingredients and decide what works for you. So I, I do. I'm very much enjoying this website. Exciting! I love that. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about Mom Brain. We're really enjoying this community. Um, we always do and even 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 more if that's possible during this time of quarantine when it is so important to have community and we very much feel that you guys are, are very much part of our community um, and are our community on MomBrain. So um, find us on Instagram, obviously YouTube and email us mombrainpod at gmail.com. We'll talk to you later. All right, guys. Stay well.
0: Thank you so much. Bye. This is MomBrain with Alaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. MomBrain is a Gallery Media Group original production.